Welcome to Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee, a program brought to you by Living Stream Ministry. Witness Lee, a servant of the Lord for over seven decades on five continents, culminated his ministry with a 21-year, book-by-book exposition of the entire Bible, which he called a life study. This life study is the basis of our program today, which includes short portions of the spoken messages given by Witness Lee. Now, let's join today's life study. Most readers of the Bible appreciate the Gospel of Mark partially as a wonderful collection of the stories concerning the miracles of Jesus. But much more than a mere collection of Bible stories, during the course of this life study of the book of Mark, we have been brought into the view that what Mark really presents is the biography of another kind of person, another kind of living, another kind of humanity, another kind of life, the life of the God-man, Jesus Christ. He was one who fully rejected his natural life, even allowing that it would be put to death in every way. Instead, he lived moment by moment by the very divine life that was also present within him. This brings up for our consideration today a profound and utterly crucial question. Do we have the realization that the divine life of God is also present within us and available for us to live by moment by moment? To help us consider this uh, profound question is Ron Kangas. And Ron, I thought before uh, we answer this question, I'd like to bring up the matter that in the context today, our listeners are going to hear Witness Lee refer not only to the Gospel of Mark, which now we have, in a sense, passed through one time in a pretty thorough way, and we're about to embark on a revisit to the Gospel and see it in sort of another perspective, but he is going to compare it quite much to the book of James. At the time he gave this life study, late in 1983, uh, concurrently he gave a, a short life study on the book of James, and so it provided him... Uh, and provides us a very meaningful contrast. And I'd like you to maybe start that way by making a comment or two on this point. I'll certainly take this direction uh, gladly. I had the privilege to attend that life study. There were 30 messages altogether, and the vast majority were on Mark, but a number were on James. And then there were a number of subsequent messages given along two lines Uh, One on Mark, and these messages took as their title, A Life Fully According to and For God's New Testament Economy. Then James, A Life Not Fully According to and For God's New Testament Economy. So historically, these two books were covered in the same 10-day training with 30 messages. That's just the historical background. The significance for our purpose is not rooted to anything historical. It's rooted to the light that shines on the Word Mm. when we compare Scripture with Scripture. In particular, when we compare the living of the person unveiled in the Gospel of Mark and the living of the person uh, revealed in the Epistle of Mark. Of James. And we cannot help but be impressed, even struck by the contrast. But it takes some careful study, much experience of the Lord, and much exercise of our discerning spirit to realize this because 
earnest, serious, pious, godly, noble believers love the book of James. Uh, James is emphasizing practical Christian perfection. That is something lived out in the practicality of daily life. The problem is that our natural concept about being a better person, being ethical, being holy, being godly, being scriptural, comes into play. And therefore, we don't recognize that James was not fully according to and for God's New Testament economy. There is some mixture there, especially with the Old Testament things. But in Mark, you have a person, the God-man Jesus, living a life absolutely according to God's economy and for God's economy. And that is the life that the Lord wants us to live not by our imitating the Lord, since the divine life, the life of God is actually within us and available for us to live by moment by moment. What is crucial is that we break through the concept of imitation. What would Jesus do? The imitation of Christ. And instead, open to the New Testament revelation concerning duplication, reproduction, continuation. Now, what do I mean by that? I mean that the Lord Jesus, who lived on the earth, the life unveiled in the gospel of Mark, now dwells in the believers, Chris. He's actually living in us as we're sitting in this small studio right here and right now. He's living in us as the Spirit, He is the embodiment of the divine life. He is the divine life. He is the life-giving spirit. And we need to have the realization that the life of God, which is in the Son of God, is in us and available for us to live. What the Lord desires is that we let the Lord live in us, according to Paul's word in Galatians 2.20. Right. And that our living becomes a continuation, a repetition of the living of the God-man Jesus recorded in Mark. Once we have this view, then we can read and reread the epistle of James and receive some kind of practical perfecting. Yes. We admit we need the help on the practical side. However, We can discern the mixture in our dear brother, and we don't want to take in the old religious things that are there, just the things that will help us develop, even perfect, the living of a life that is fully according to and for God's New Testament economy, which life is Jesus living again in us. Wow. Well, you did both. You uh, took the direction I set forth, and you also touched the profound question, which will really occupy us, I think, for the balance of the program today. Ron, you brought up Galatians 2.20. I'd like to read it because this passage uh, in Paul's book of Galatians is a backdrop for the whole message today. And for our purposes today, the passage that we're interested in culminates with verse 20, and I just read it for our listeners, and I think it will come into play in all sections. I am crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, 
but it is Christ who lives in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live in faith, the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Amen. Okay, here's Witness Lee with our first portion. I'd like to uh, refuel a little bit, just to refresh you and me in our understanding. Do you all still remember what is God's New Testament economy? God's New Testament economy is to work himself into his chosen people, to make them members of Christ, that Christ may have a body to express himself. This is the New Testament economy of God. In James, the epistle, together with uh, the Gospel of Mark, we can easily see two lives. One is the life of James, and the other is the life of uh, the Lord Jesus. Two lives. If you put the two together, you can have a very good comparison. So many Christian readers of James, they uh, love this book because this book stresses the Christian practical perfection. And uh, James, not only in the Bible, even in the church history, was very reputed in his godliness. He was highly valued by the ancient saints. You read Galatians chapter 2, you could see verse 12 says, before some came from James, Peter ate with the Gentiles. Then when some came from James, Peter was scared and he pretended not to eat with Gentiles. But this you can see James was there, quite an influence. Even the top apostle, right, was under his kind of influence. Ron, you brought up a subject that I think we need to uh, develop a bit more because I don't want our listeners to misunderstand. We're not depreciating James or his portion in the divine revelation and, and his inclusion in the New Testament canon of Scripture. But this contrast or comparison that we want to learn from, what struck me, at least I'll throw this out for you to consider. Uh, maybe you want to go another direction, but uh, let me present this. When he brought out this matter of the purpose or the goal of God's New Testament economy is that Christ might be expressed. And it's this matter of expression that seems to me to be really uh, the key element when we compare these two aspects, isn't it? It certainly is. And uh, I couldn't be happier, you know, on one of my favorite subjects in relation to God's economy, the expression of God for which we were created in his image. And God's goal in his economy is to have the body of Christ, an organism consisting of Christ the head and the believers, 
the many sons of God, as the members of the body. And the function of this organic body is to express Christ corporately. Mm. And if we change the metaphor to that of the building, they refer to the same reality. The glory of God is in the temple of God. Glory is God expressed. The Lord Jesus, according to Hebrews chapter 1 and Colossians chapter 1, is the image of God. He's the expression of God. He is the shining out of the splendor of God. With this in mind, we need to discern matters, especially matters of good versus God. We need to discern according to expression. Mm. What is expressed when a human being is simply a good person or trying to be a better person? Suppose we have a believer here who is serious with the Lord. He loves the Lord. He fears God in a proper way. So he does his best to be humble and to be kind and loving and righteous. But all of that is by his own effort. Right. So what is expressed there is himself with his natural and somewhat improved or developed human virtues. This actually is sinful in the sense of Romans 3.23. It's short of the glory of God. It doesn't express God. The Lord Jesus, in his living, lived a life of expressing God the Father by denying himself, denying his natural human life, and living by the Father with the divine life within him. If he is to have a body in reality and practicality, all the members of the body need to have the same living as the head, the prototypical God-man. That is, we need to learn to live a life of expressing God by living God. And we live God by living the life which is God himself. So we're back, and I'm not surprised that we are, and probably you're not either, to the profound and crucial question, do we have the realization that God as life, God in Christ as the Spirit, as life, is within us? available for us to live. Now let's go further. Do we have the realization that this is God's requirement? This is the living that is according to God's economy, which is God's working himself into us in Christ to make us the members of the body of Christ for his corporate expression. What we see in Mark is the perfect living of a God-expressing life what we see in James, and we respect him, and we respect the book of James, but the book of James serves the purpose of showing us, by contrast especially, that to be religious and to be according to the law and to be pious and to be sober-minded is not good enough. That results in some kind of a mixture. Mm. There's something of the expression of God there, but there's also another kind of expression. And the Lord doesn't want that. The Lord wants what's in Mark. He wants that kind of life lived out through all the members of his body. And we have a particular burden, I think we can put it this way, in this broadcast to emphasize 
the kind of life God wants. He had it in Christ, the firstborn son. Now he wants to see it enlarged and expanded and continued in all the believers as the many sons of God. Wow. Ron, you earlier mentioned mixture in relation to James. We've had this very marvelous, positive presentation about God's desire in his New Testament economy in this second and final segment today. We're going to see how Witness Lee illustrates from Scripture the fact of this mixture, that despite James' positive qualities, this piety and godliness, which was well known at the time and has been through the ages, the Scripture gives us indications that there were other elements of this religious mixture. And that's what we're going to uh, really delve into in this next point. And his context uh, for showing us this is really back to Galatians chapter 2, prior to Paul's marvelous uh, utterance there in verse 20, which we read and enjoyed. The few verses just before that really lay forth uh, this mixture that uh, provided the backdrop for Paul's utterance there. In verses 11 and 12, He says, but when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before some came from James, he continually ate with the Gentiles. But when they came, he began to shrink back and separate himself, fearing those of the circumcision. And the rest of the Jews also joined him in this hypocrisy so that even Barnabas was carried away in their hypocrisy. Mm. So here we have Peter as a kind of lead apostle at the time who had brought the gospel to the Gentiles and was uh, in the church in Antioch, a Gentile church, breaking bread, eating Gentile food with the Gentiles. And here comes one from James, indicating that even uh, James's uh, surrogates had a huge influence on the situation. Mm -hmm. So with that as a kind of a preface, let's join Witness Lee, and then we'll have another opportunity to fellowship. Verse 12 of Galatians 2 means a lot. It says, some came from James. Surely, they were sent by James to come down to Antioch to see what was the situation there. (laughs) You all know the story, right? Jerusalem was to the south and Antioch was on the north. If you look at Acts, you could see the church at Jerusalem in practices looked very much Jewish. And the church in Antioch, they uh, were very much Gentile. But the New Testament tells us the church is neither Jewish nor Gentile, right? The church should only be just the church. But according to Acts 15.21 and Galatians chapter 2, you could see at that time Jerusalem exerted quite much influence over Antioch. And I do believe to some extent that James was concerned that the churches in the Gentile world didn't practice the Mosaic law, didn't practice circumcision, didn't practice the Jewish debt. So I believe it was for this that he sent some brothers to come to Antioch to see what was the real situation. 
And before these, said the ones came to Antioch from James. Peter was behaving, acting just like a proper brother, as a member of the body of Christ. So he ate with the Gentiles. When the dear spies came from James, Peter took the lead to behave again like a Jew. Paul calls this pretense a hypocrisy. And the rest of the Jews all followed. You may say, what's wrong? Well, to you, it may be nothing wrong. But to the one who knows God's New Testament economy, this was a big blunder. This was a big mixture that uh, damages God's New Testament economy. Okay, Ron, now we have the benefit of being able to look back at history and see what we can glean here. We have Jerusalem, a Jewish center, a Jewish church in its makeup completely. We have Antioch, a Gentile center, uh, and a Gentile church. And this encounter back and forth between these ones from Jerusalem and how it impacted Peter, how does this show us this uh, window into the mixture that was a stumbling block? Uh, I would respond by first pointing out that although Antioch was in a Gentile region and the church in Jerusalem was in Judea, a Jewish region, God does not want the church to have an expression other than the expression of Christ. There may be Gentiles in Antioch. They should not express anything other than Christ. Jews in Jerusalem should not express anything other than Christ. This is our fundamental point of truth from which we assess this. Now we come to Galatians chapter 2. And the scene is Antioch. And Peter, who had received revelation in Acts 10 that God is not making this distinction anymore. Uh, What he has made clean, don't call unclean, don't call common. And he took the lead to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. Mm -hmm. And he's there enjoying sweet fellowship at table with all the believers who happen to be Gentiles. No problem. But then certain brothers came from James. And when they came, Peter, we have to say, was intimidated by the report that they would likely give to James and by the influence that they brought then he withdrew. And Paul called this hypocrisy. The influence was so prevailing that even Barnabas was affected by that. Our point is that with the account in Galatians chapter 2, we see the influence, the effect of James in relation to God's New Testament economy. It was in that context of Galatians 2 where Paul, for the sake of the truth of the gospel, he openly and publicly rebuked Peter, saying, how can you require the Gentiles to live like Jews? We couldn't live like Jews under the law. And then Paul declared, I have been crucified with Christ. I live no longer. Christ lives in me. 
So here we have, in essence, the same contrast between Mark and James. Here, Paul is the one who is absolutely in God's New Testament economy, letting Christ live in him, living by another life, seeing how this is different from the religion of the law or any kind of mixture. And he stands squarely for what God wants and what God wants as seen in Mark is a life fully according to and for God's New Testament economy. That is a life which allows the indwelling triune God who is life to live in us and to be expressed from within us. Wow. Well, Ron, I, uh, I'm just sorry that the clock is uh, dictated that we draw our fellowship to a close, but this is a very good sort of overview of how we will be viewing Mark as we come back through now in this second pass, and maybe it will take us something like uh, 15 uh, programs in that neighborhood. So uh, a good start to this uh, second visit through the life study of Mark. I hope by uh, the Lord's arrangement that you and I are able to come together again for uh, at least a couple more of these programs, and you're always welcome in our studio. I hope so, too. I really enjoy this line of fellowship very much, and good to coordinate together to sound out the truth of the gospel. Amen and amen. Okay, our time is up. Let me quickly give you our toll-free number and invite you to call us. It's one eight 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 life study 888-543-3788. For Ron Kangas, I'm Chris Wilde. Thank you very much for listening today. Yeah.